Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard all this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Bonnie. My name is Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad that you have joined us this morning. Well, as we, as we come to our text this morning, we're going to finish the series that we've been in about seeing God working in unlikely places. And today, obviously, you know, we're going to talk about, right, three kings, right, because we sing that song, We Three Kings, right? You can find the darndest things in Harvest Kids when no one's down there. Um, no, we're, we're not going to talk about three kings. We are going to talk about the king of kings and how the king of kings was delivered and how some wise men were delivered and how God's hand was at work in an unlikely place. And as we do that, we'll kind of look at the story. And as we look at the story, we need to look at it in two ways. One, we want to understand what was going on in the characters in the story, the people that actually uh, were present when all these situations were going on, what were they experiencing, but also what were the original hearers understanding? Because remember, Matthew wrote this book to Hebrews, uh, individuals who would have understand their Old Testament and things would have been popping out for them 
as the story would have unfolded. So we're going to look at those two aspects, but before we jump into the story and how it applies to us, let's just go before the Lord. Father, I thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Lord, as we, as we open up your word this morning, would we see your hand at work, and would you open our eyes to see your hand at work in our lives? I pray, God, that you would be glorified, that we'd have a fresh affection for the Lord Jesus Christ when we leave here this morning. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, let's, as we've been going through uh, Matthew 1 and now into Matthew 2, we've kind of looked at the story first and then, you know, how does this apply to our lives? Just kind of unpack some of the details that maybe aren't as, as readily apparent to us. The first one being, like, there's no reference to the names Caspar, Balthazar, and Malchior. Uh, like, some of you, these wise men were given names, and they were given three names, even though it doesn't say there were three of them. We don't know exactly how many there were of them. But this church tradition has kind of added some details to the story. I mean, even some of you have, have you know, this, you know, figurines at your house, right? The nativity. And there's, you got... Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus, and you got some shepherds and some sheep and some other animals, right? And oftentimes you got three kings sitting there. You know, if you really had a more accurate representation, you'd, you'd, have, you'd have all those folks at the beginning, but you'd have the three wise men, you know, probably somewhere down in Mishawaka, right? If you want to set it up right, and people go, where is that? Well, they're not here yet. You know, they'll be coming by a number of months later. So when you come to our house in April... The wise men will be here because we just we want to go with biblical accuracy. So that's just some of those things we don't we don't think about. They weren't present on that evening. They came later, and oftentimes we don't talk about them and we don't see the significance of what God did because God did some crazy things in this story. So let's just kind of go through the story. What are some things that we see here as we go through? So it says, now after Jesus was born in verse one in Bethlehem in Judea, the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So they had come from far off. So these guys were wise men, not wise cracking guys. They had Wisdom, what they're really kind of talking about is these were scholars, philosophers, kind of pre-scientific scientists uh, before the scientific method happened. They kind of looked at the world and how it functioned. They, they thought that the things that they saw had significance for people. And they were students. They studied. They had this you know, understanding of everything they looked at. I'm like, I understand what's going on, you know, how my living room is laid out. They understood how the stars were laid out. And every December, I walk into my house at some point, and things have changed. Because the tree's there, and of course, the furniture has to move around, and I'm like, hey, something is different here. Other people, when they come in, they think, yeah, did, some, did you change things? And I walk in, and I'm like, yeah, something is different. Why? Because I walk through that living room every single day. Well, these guys were so familiar with the stars. They had looked at them so many times. They had taken so many meticulous notes that when a star appeared that isn't normally there, they're like, hey, this is a new star. This, there's something significant about 
this star. They were probably students of the libraries of the East. They had could probably studied some scrolls and read some details, you know, about some of these things that were going to happen. And they're like, hey, this is significant. We need to take a big trip because a king has been born and we need to find him. So then they go and they take a trip to Jerusalem over a long distance of time. They didn't hop on the red eye. They would have had to go to great expense to go. And then they show up and then they say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, we have in our minds where Jesus is, and oftentimes we're kind of still stuck back in chapter one. Well, he's in the manger. Well, that's where you need to go find him. But where do they go? They go to Herod. But that makes sense because in that day, if you were looking for a king, where would you find a king? Well, you would find a king in the palace because that's where the king is. So they find themselves in, in the palace of the king, and they say, we, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod, who was the king, heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Why was he troubled? Well, he was, Jerusalem was troubled because things had gone generally okay. Like he had accomplished some great things being in power. He'd been in power for probably 30 some, 35 some years. And so there was stability in the government. So the thought that another king had come would kind of give some instability. But Herod was troubled because he liked being king. In fact, he was ruthless about being king. He he executed 10 of his wives and three of his sons and numerous other individuals. So he wanted to make sure that he kept himself on the throne. So when he hears that another king has come, he's troubled. So the story goes on. It says, and then this assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, and by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That come from Micah. So you have scribes and priests. So scribes were the individuals who took the word of God because we didn't have printing presses back then. You didn't have apps on your phone. They couldn't text the word of God to one another. They had to copy it because oftentimes the parchments would get old because they didn't have temperature controlled rooms, right? They get humid and they get nasty. And so they would copy it over. So these scribes, they spent time copying the Old Testament scriptures word for word. They knew God's word. And so they knew where to find the answer to the question. Now, what's interesting is they find the answer to the question, but they don't do anything about it. I mean, I don't know about you, but as I've studied the scriptures since I've become a Christian and I discover something new, I'm like, oh, man. Did you, did you read that? Did you know that was in here? Like, I'll never forget the first time I read the story of David and Goliath. Because all I had done was like a flannel graph in my church growing up, and, you know, David and Goliath. And then I read, he cuts his head off. And I was like, he cuts his head off. I didn't know that before. Can you believe that? This is crazy. When I find stuff in the scriptures, I'm excited about it. I want to tell others about it. And these guys discover, wait a minute. A king has been born, and it's right here in the Bible. 
They don't go, hey, wise men, you know what? You're looking for something on aisle 10? I'm gonna take you there. Let's just, t- let's just take you right where that is. I know where that is. I'm interested too. But they don't. Then they encounter, the, the wise men then encounter Herod. Now friends, even thinking about the, the priests and the scribes, it, it's possible to know God's word completely and be unaffected by its message. Just the fact that you know it doesn't mean that you're affected by it, and that's a dangerous place to be as they were in. So the story goes on, and Herod summons the wise men secretly. It says he ascertains from them what time the star had appeared. Kind of like this, like, hey, come on over here. I know we're kind of in with everybody else, but come on over here. Hey, I just want to share something secretly with you. You just kind of get like, he's just a slimy jerk. Like he's, and you, oh, I want to, let me, you know, tell me, tell me, when did he come? Hey, when did he come? Because they had traveled far, right? They'd seen the star when Jesus was born and they had traveled far. So he has no idea, well, when this Christ was born, because he wants to know how old is he? You know, I'm not looking for a newborn. I'm, I'm looking for someone that's older than that. Is he four? Is he five? Is he 10? I want to find out because I want to look for him. And so he, he talks to them, ascertain what time the star had, approved, had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So he sends them out. Yep, yeah, it's okay. Like, I want to worship him too. So glad you guys have made the trip, and I want to make the trip too. But you know, I'm kind of busy today. My schedule's full. Why don't you guys go find him, come back, and tell me where he's at. All the while, he has evil in his heart. He has the intention of snuffing out this king. And the wise men, after listening to the king, says they went on their way. It doesn't, there's no record of them being concerned. But remember, these wise men, they're called wise men because of the thing that they were doing. They didn't necessarily know Jesus yet, so they didn't have discernment. They didn't have the Holy Spirit speaking to them, warning them at this point in time. So like, yeah. That makes sense. We'll, we'll come back. And so they leave. They go on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. You know what it's like to anticipate that something's coming? We, we all were. And so you, you know when you're, tr- you're on a long trip and you start to see signs that you're almost there. Maybe you've tried to travel to St. Louis. As soon as you see the arch, you're like, yeah, we're almost there. We're about ready to see that. St- or you're driving into, you know, one of the city that's familiar. You see certain tall buildings. Yeah, we're almost there. They had traveled from far off and they had seen the star and they rejoiced exceedingly because they were about to encounter the king who'd been talked about, who'd been prophesied about in old documents long ago, and it was going to happen and was confirmed by the word of God that they had discovered because they weren't exposed to the scriptures until these scribes exposed them to the scriptures. And this was their response. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. I mean, think of the, the picture. 
This is a, a small child with its mother. We're, we're talking about like the, maybe the pre-walkers, maybe just walking child. You walk into the room, the first person, people that they're noticing isn't the parents as much, like they notice the child. You've got dignified, wise individuals who've come bearing gifts. They, they have these gifts to come, but they notice the child. And then in their worship, they bring valuable stuff, right? They, they, bring, they bring gold. Again, there's a wealth of things down there. You should serve and harvest kids. They bring a wealth of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Didn't bring that, you know, their supply chain issues. They didn't have those supply chain issues back then. So all I got is gold today. So they bring something valuable. We don't need to get into all the details of those three items. They were valuable because they knew they were in the presence of a king. So that even sounds strange to us. They show up and they see a baby. But the original hearers, remember? The original hearers who would have heard this, their minds would have been kind of exploding. Wait a minute. These these wise people who, who aren't Jews, they make a trip, and when they show up, they worship. Their mind would have gone back to places like Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And the, the passage goes on. So the original hears, they're hearing the story and going, this is nuts, but this is real. This has happened. We aren't waiting anymore. And then the story kind of comes to a close because they're warned in a dream. We don't have any record of like, what did they talk about? Did, they, did Mary and Joseph tell them the story of like the dreams that they had and what the angels had said? Did they talk about seeing the star? We don't have any idea. We know they were at least there for a night and the angel speaks to them in a dream and says, don't return to Herod. And they departed. And then the story goes on and, and Joseph gets another visit from an angel and he says, don't go because Herod wants to kill your son. And then what happens is Herod shows his character and he kills all of young boys, two years old and, and under in the town. Now, it wasn't a big place. That may have been 15 or 20, 25 maybe. But still, the death of, of one child needlessly simply because the ruler was afraid of a baby. I mean, Herod was so ruthless that he planned to have some of his subjects killed the day that he was died. Like, in your will and testament, you have some very nice things to probably hand down, but he had a plan to have some killed because he wanted the whole country to, to, be, to make sure they were mourning on the day of his death. That's how horrible he was. That's the kind of evil that was coming at a little baby who is Christ the Lord. And he was protected because God, God works even in these odd places and he delivers some wise men. He delivers Mary and Joseph 
and he delivers Jesus. So those are, those are the details of the story. But what, where, where can we find, what, what can we learn from this story other than kind of maybe write some of the wrong details we've heard or maybe some of the songs that we've sung that we're like, yeah, maybe they're not theologically accurate. No, I think there's far more significance than just getting the details right. One of the things we can, can learn and observe in the story is that God uses whatever means he wants to accomplish his purposes. We don't have a slide for that, but here's the reality. Here's a number of unbelieving wise men who are some of the first worshipers of the king of kings. God wants his son worshiped, and he's going to get it done. And he's going to catch the attention of the original hearers of this message so that they'll stop in their tracks and realize if God's going to take some unbelievers from a far-off land to come and worship, you need to take note of this king and fall down and worship. Friends, we need not put our trust in like the normal means of the way things get done. God, God can use unbelievers to accomplish his purposes. I experienced that in my life as we were in the process of church planting, considering a plant in another place that wasn't here, raising resources to go do that. You want to know who the largest giver was? Someone who has not professed Christ. A friend of mine that doesn't know Jesus gave us the largest sum as we went to church plant. So don't, don't think that just the things that you can see with your eyes that God's gonna only accomplishes his purposes through the things that you think he's gonna do. Because all things are at his disposal. But we also see that God draws outsiders to Christ. He draws unbelievers to Christ. Again, these, these magi, these wise men, they were not Jews. They studied the natural world they would have been totally into maybe, maybe new agey kind of stuff. Maybe, you know, they read the part of the newspaper where the horoscope's at. Maybe they wrote for the horoscope that's on there. This kind of these kind of people, and God draws them. They don't come to Christ because someone traveled to their land and said, Oh, you need to come and worship him. No, God brought them. And you can have faith that God will work in your loved ones. God can take these wise men from a far off land and take them to the feet of Jesus before he's preached a word. He can, he can save your loved one. I've seen it happen in my life. I'm waiting it for, for it to happen in the lives of others. But God had his hand on the Magi just like he's had his hand on you and he's got his hand on those loved ones. And we can trust he will draw them. But maybe, maybe you want to have a discussion with them. There's a couple of resources. A man by the name of Lee Strobel wrote a book called Case for Christ. He wanted to disprove the existence of Christ, and God saved him in his pursuit. And it could be a helpful resource to read or discuss with someone. Or the book Reason for God by Tim Keller, he does a great job interacting with people who are super thoughtful, real smart, and just kind of does what happened with the wise men, like talks about the everyday life, the way people think, and how that points to Christ as these wise men were pointed to Christ. So maybe you want to engage with some of those. As we move on, like we need to respond 
to the coming of Christ. We see three different ways that people responded to the coming of Christ. The, the wise men responded, the, the Jewish scholars and the scribes, they responded, and Herod responded. They all responded. They didn't all respond in a way that you would think that they would respond. Let's t- start with the third one. A, B, C, let's start with C. The path of Herod was he opposed Jesus. So that's one way you can respond. You can oppose Jesus, though you might know that he's the promised king. And there are going to be those that oppose Christ. Maybe you're someone who has been in that place. Herod did all he could to save face and preserve himself. And he died in his sins. It's my prayer that you would not be in that place. Now there's the path of the Jewish scholars. They knew all about Christ but they were indifferent to him. See, Herod and his counselors, they had something that these wise men didn't have in their scrolls. They had the word of God. They had the scriptures that told them about the coming of the king. But the wise men had something that Herod and his scholars didn't have. A burning desire to find Christ. Friends, again, we can know the details of the Bible and be unaffected by them because the scribes knew the Bible. It's not enough to show up here on a Sunday morning or at a Christmas Eve service or it's not enough to just check a box of the various things that Christians do, right? Oh, I accomplished my Bible reading plan. I did all the right stuff. I I did all these right things. It's not that. No, he doesn't want all that stuff. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. So as we open the word, let's respond the way that the wise men did because their response was one of learning and seeking and worshiping. They realized there's something missing that something that's missing is Christ. And they didn't know this because Jesus hadn't said it yet, but Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So God used their wanderings. And sometimes you might feel like you're just kind of meandering, wandering. You're like, yep, I'm coming to the end of another year, and I just kind of feel like the road that I'm on is doing this. Like, I feel like it should be this, but I just feel like I'm all over the place. God's hands at work, and we have the scriptures that reveal Christ to us, and they were exposed to the scriptures, so let's give ourselves to the study of the scriptures. As we approach a new year, the the greatest resolution you can make, you can make any day of the year. You don't need to wait till January 1. It's to, to know more about Christ. We need the scriptures to know about Christ. The Bible says we, we learn about God in all of creation. You can learn about God, certainly, because no, none of creation has an excuse. But the only way we can know about Christ is when it's revealed to us through his word. And that's why we dive into the scriptures. That's why we would want to jump into a Bible reading plan, not because it's just the right Christian thing to do. I can check off the box. No, this is the place where we discover Christ. 
And every time I read these words, I learn something new about Christ. Or I sometimes go back to those to the to truths I've read before and go, oh, I forgot that. The older I get, the more it seems I forget, the more I need to read because these wonderful truths are given for us. So let's respond as the wise men and seek him. In Matthew, Jesus said, for Matthew 16, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. It's in Matthew 16, 25. The wise men came, They came with these, these items. And it's not that we go out and we get these items. But they came with the things that were valuable and they represent the things that are most valuable in your life. And they came and they offered them. And the call for us is to respond and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Respond by giving, giving everything. That's what we learned that these men did. It's not about amounts and money. It's about our hearts that we give and we, we respond to Christ. So let's respond as the wise men. Answer the question, have you fully surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you? So maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Christ. And this is the day that you need to encounter him. And you all simply need to come to him and respond by saying, Father, forgive me for my sin. I believe in the Lord Jesus. You can do that today. Maybe when we take communion together, you can do that. As you pray with someone before you leave, you can do that tonight on your bed. For those of us that have responded to the gospel, Let's be envisioned afresh to know him more, to dive into the glories of Calvary, to discover him afresh. Maybe we'll do that slowly this year. Maybe, we read, maybe we're just going to read one chapter a week. Some of you are going to be like, yep, I'm going to go through the whole Bible again this year. And some of you are like, that's too much. That makes me feel like I feel right now after what I ate yesterday. But... It's okay, like there's so much here to chew on. Look how much we got in just the first one and a half chapters of Matthew in four weeks' time. There's a lot to chew on. But let's savor Christ. Let's let the word direct us to Christ. And let's anticipate his coming again. Because they were anticipating They were looking, they were searching. There was this anticipation that a king was coming and the king has come. That's what we've celebrated over the last few days. That's what we celebrated on Friday night. The king has come. But that king came and he lived a perfect life and he went to the cross and now he is seated at God's right hand and he's waiting for the father to tell him to come back. And so we are still waiting. We're waiting for his coming again. Let's wait for it. Let's press in. Let's not get distracted. Because there's, there's easy distractions because there's opposition. Just like these wise men had opposition against them. We need to be on guard. 
Because even in this season, with all the stuff, the materialism and all the good food and things, and, and that's fun and those are, are, are great memories that we can have, but let's not be fooled. Peter says in 1 Peter 5.8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. There's a real battle going on. And theologian Abraham Kuyper, who was once the prime minister of the Netherlands, he wisely wrote this. He said, if once the curtain were pulled back and the spiritual world behind it became into view, it would expose to our spiritual vision a struggle so intense, so convulsive, sweeping everything within its range that the fiercest battle ever fought on earth would seem, by comparison, a mere game. Friends, let's not be distracted by what we see with our eyes. That is not where the battle is to be fought, and it's not where the battle will be won. The battle is won on our knees. There's a reason there's a big chunk about spiritual warfare at the end of Ephesians after three solid chapters about the gospel and some practical application because the spiritual war is real. So let's not be distracted by the things that we see with our eyes. And let's ask God to open our eyes to what's going on in the heavenlies, to ask God to move. Ask God to change hearts. That's when things will happen. Doesn't mean we don't have conversations with people. Absolutely, we have conversations with people to share Christ with them, to share about wisdom. But the, the emphasis of our effort should be one in which God is the one that has to do the work because he's the one that has to do the work. How in the world do three or three, we, we keep saying three, we don't know how many it was. How in the world do wise men travel from a far off place to worship a king that's a baby? No, it's not because somebody convinced them. It's because God moved. So we need to be on our knees asking God to move. And we're going to take some time in the coming year and have some times of prayer, maybe some evenings on Sunday night where we're going to pray and we're going to seek God's face. We do that every Sunday morning at 8.30 where we seek God's face because we need God to move. We need God to move and expect that there's going to be opposition. Because when we welcome Jesus into our life, we're going to get the opposition that he received. John 15, 19, because you are not of the world and I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. We should expect that to come and we're feeling it more and more. But let's not fear because Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So even though we should be sobered, we should be sobered by the reality that there's an enemy and we should be sobered by the reality that there is real opposition, let's not forget the one that we prayed to. Let's not forget that he spoke and this world came into existence. Let's not forget he already won the victory at the cross. When Jesus says, it is finished, we know what the end of the game is gonna be. That's why Martin Luther so helpfully wrote in his hymn, A Mighty Fortress. He said, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, 
We will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. But one little word shall fell him. Friends, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That's how powerful that message is. When it seems dark and looming, and the first half of that verse kind of paints the picture, it seemed dark and looming. Herod's sending these wise men to do his bidding. It seems dark and looming. But then God shows up. God shows up. And we are going to see him show up. As you experience more opposition, you're going to see him show up. So let's anchor ourselves, not in how are we going to respond to this. Let's anchor our hope in the king who is the king of the great deliverance. Because our hope is not in the rescue of things from this world. Though God does deliver us. God delivered these wise men. God delivered Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And so that's part of God's plan to deliver us at times. But there's other times his plan is not that we would be delivered in this life, but there's certainty that we will experience the fruit of deliverance from sin. Because Jesus has already gone to the cross. Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. As we read on Friday, chapter 1, verse 21, She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins greatest problem that faces every man and woman is not some earthly king like Herod. The greatest problem we face if, we have not, if we're not found in Christ is the wrath of God that will come justly to carry out what needs to be carried out because of rebellion against him. But he sent his son to save us if we would trust in him, and we can rejoice that we've trusted in him. And even if we don't see his many deliverances, because so oftentimes, friends, we see his deliverances in our life like in the rearview mirror. We don't often even see it in the midst of things that are going on because everything's just coming at us. So, yeah, there's sometimes we stop and we took around. So, even as you come to the end of this year, take some time to look back and see the hand of God. Because I guarantee you, in each of your lives, God's hand has been at work in unlikely places. And you will find yourself praising and let that turn you to a place where you are like these wise men. You're willing to come and give and give it all. See, it's, it's best to sit in the front row. But you're willing to say, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm going to give it all away because he is so absolutely worth it. It's not drudgery. It's delight. Well, friends, we're going to take some time to be reminded afresh of what Christ has done, and we're going to take communion together.
Because that's the best place to end. Even as we do this story, it's not about the things that we do. It's about what Christ has done, and we want to delight in what Christ has done. So we're going to take communion together, and we're going to do it in the way that we did it last time. It's not something we did for a while. We kind of did things differently. But what we're going to have is we're going to have a few folks that are going to be up front here at the, at the, at the front uh, in, in each aisle. And what I want to have you do is, uh, as the worship team plays some music, you know, you, you don't have to immediately rush up because this is a time where we want to reflect on what Christ has done. Maybe you need to trust in Christ. Maybe you need to repent of some things the Lord's convicted you of. Maybe you need to spend some time praising him for the things he's opening up your eyes to. But, but come and take the elements. So come down the aisle and then kind of go back out, back to your seats. And then hold the elements and we're going to take them together. So take this time as the music's played, as people are coming forward, to be prayerful and to reflect on what Christ has done. And we'll take the elements together. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.